When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Creaseman. And I'm Ira Creaseman. And on this episode, we continue our conversation on Final Fantasy Tactics. When last we left our heroes, that is Ramza, Agrius, and a retinue of... I was about to say happy-go-lucky light warriors, and then I realized that whatever the opposite of that is, yeah. downtrodden dragging themselves through the mud and rain and war-torn countryside. Yeah. 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 And in search for Ramza's sister Alma, both of House Bale, if you may well know, who has been kidnapped, we happen upon uh, a family quarrel between characters we were introduced to as Marak, the young man, and Rafa, the young woman, of darker complexion, and brilliant white robes and a mysterious magic in battle that we can't quite understand and haven't really seen before. And they were having a fight over Duke, Grand Duke, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Barrington, uh, the man who raised them. And it, it was made clear during this fight that he probably burned down their village and then saved them from that, you know, quote, quote, saved them. And Rafa even implies he did much, much worse. And we'll give another trigger warning later on when we get back to that. And and it's reiterated here, but we'll only touch on that when we absolutely have to. So after the battle, Marek teleports himself away says again to come to Riovane's castle, which is where we've been going the whole time to, to try to rescue Alma. And Ramza and Rafa retreat into a room where they can have a conversation. And most of it is giving further details and reiterating the story where before we were kind of reading between the lines, but she makes it clear like, yeah, Barrington did raise us and for a long time, I, I thought he'd been sent by the gods and all this stuff, but he did this horrible thing. And Ramza says, yeah, actually, he was known for, like, setting up all of these orphanages in the aftermath of the 50 Years War. But it was basically to create, like, an army of young people to do his bidding, which, yuck. Yeah, and I, again, this parallels King Baron of Final Fantasy IV, right? But the original King Baron, I'm pretty sure, was taking in orphans magnanimously right like what was, was trying to do sure. a good thing but also maybe a little bit Sid from Final Fantasy 8 and the creation of Seed sure which you know is not great <laughs> right right 
And then she also explains, and I love that it makes sense for her to give this bit of exposition here because it explains why the Duke took particular interest in the two of them. She says, We Galthians, which is a word that kind of rings similar to me to the word Garlians in Final Fantasy fourteen. Galthians here are the keepers of a sacred art passed down through the generations. She says, My brother and I are conduits, I of the heavens, and he of the nether. We channel their power through mantra. Grand Duke Barrington desired that power for his own. When our elder refused him, the Grand Duke put our entire village to the torch. All is grist that comes to that man's mill. What a... Whew, man. <laughs> right back into the good writing. If there is a thing he cannot have, she says, he thinks it better that it not exist at all. I feel like that just rings so true of so many disgustingly rich and powerful and overwhelmingly white men in the real world. They also have this very brief exchange where Rafa asks what Ramza is up to, and he tries to pass it off as like, oh, I, I fight for House Bale, I fight for the honor of my name. And she says, I do not believe that for a moment. Uh, you strike me not as the sort of man to fight for things so trite, no, you see evil and injustice before your eyes, and you cannot turn away. You do not even think to seek reward. So she sees it, even if he doesn't. He even responds, you think me a better man than I, you know. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. No. Yeah, I, if it were coming from Ramza, like, like people who self-aggrandize in this game probably can't be trusted, but because somebody else sees it in him... I think that lends uh, more truth, more credence to the to the line. Right. And Ramza still only, you know, sees all of the things he failed Titra and he's failed Delita and he's failed his sister who's held captive right now, right? But Rafa sees this this deeper greater good in him. And then Ira, mm-hmm. <laughs> what happens? What what happens? Uh... You say what happens next. Well, so sort of in, in the background, in the shadows, is this... I thought it was a rock, maybe, but no, it's a frog. It's just a frog. Okay, there's a, okay, there's a frog. Random, the frog but... sort of hops forward and begins speaking to our heroes. <laughs> I think this is interesting. It, it's kind of a bummer that it doesn't come up again because I think it's a neat ability. But essentially, Marek has co-opted this frog... Uh, in order to impart a message. So I don't know if it's the body of an actual frog or if he, like, constructs a frog out of mana and magic or something. It seems an interesting use, though, <laughs> of, right? We know he's got dark or nether or hell magic. And, yeah, I agree. I just wish they would have used it more because this idea that he can sort of animate animals or speak through them or whatever, it's just like, <laughs> that's cool and weird. And while they have a, a bit of a back and forth and there's some quippiness and there's this and that, it essentially gets down to come to Rio Vane's castle if you want to see your sister and bring Rafa with you. And so that is what we are to do next. Yeah, but then also the frog explodes. Let's not forget that part. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excuse me. Like this is all very serious, but also a frog explodes. So I know, right? I know. Um, so then we scene shift back to Zoltania Castle. You'll remember that's where 
Ovelia is sort of on the throne and in prison at the same time. <laughs> and she's once again back out in the courtyard where we had listened last time or one of the last times to her and Delita having a very interesting conversation. And there's actually a lot of echoes of the very beginning of the game here. She's saying almost the same prayer that opens the game and we even get a piece of music that starts the game up and it's you know oh father grant unto us your children of evil salvation allow not this war to consume our realm but set us swiftly on proper course that we might know true peace so again she this is just where she goes to her kind of comfort right and and i think it's interesting that she repeats the prayer because we see a lot of prayer in fiction um but not often these kind of repeatable mantras, which we know do exist. So, sure, there, there's the uh, the the repeatable mantra from Battlestar Galactica that uh, right I thought was right. interesting. Right, right. I also think the setting for where she is is particularly interesting because you described it as a courtyard, but the uh, the sort of title screen, the the like location screen that we get before we're here, says the abandoned chapel at the castle. Right. right, so it's it's an outdoor setting, but it used to be the chapel, which I think goes to speak to one of the themes of this, which is the abuse of faith, right? Like, Ovelia has faith; she's a true believer. She really uh, is invested in this religion and its tenets. But the people around her are using that faith. They get into it a little bit, or they get into it a lot in Final Fantasy X, right? But I'm also reminded of Final Fantasy One where there are chapels in every town. Now, it's a game mechanic. There are chapels because that's where you go to resurrect your heroes if they're killed in battle. But also, there's one town where the chapel has been ruined by the vampire. Mm. So, yeah, I like that. For all that this game uh, could be said to be a critique of religion, there are also those who, who believe and, you know, for righteous reasons. Yeah, and we're going to get another interesting wrinkle to that a little later on that I really like. But here, again, this is a a nice little scene uh, with a little bit of back and forth between Delita and Ovelia at first, and then it's not such a nice little scene because they are attacked by ninja assassins, and Delita throws himself in front of a dagger to save the princess and wards off the fiends, and yeah... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hard I mean, to dive too much deeper into this one without getting spoilery too. But well, it, it certainly feels here like Delita is all in. He, yeah, Ovelia is his queen. He is going to protect her and and burn the rest of it down. And I I buy it right. Like I'm I'm all I'm there. I'm 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 all for it. Yeah. Go Delita. Go Ovelia. You're going to set things right here in Ivalice. And he really jumps in front of that dagger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remembering again that an ambiguous amount of time passes between each of these events and and scene shifts and our characters often travel long distances over several days and are accosted along the way by random bandits and monsters out in the woods and whatnot 
There's a really interesting moment where upon one of these, what I guess you might call random encounters in the wood, there are a bunch of undead creatures. Not uncommon for a Final Fantasy game to happen upon some ghosts and zombies, but in this story, they're given a particular meaning, and Rafa tells Ramza, Those who fell in the Fifty Years' War still linger in the wood. You will find no release here. Return with your remorse to the land of the dead, she says to speak in her best Nausicaa attempt to to speak to the dead rather than fight them. But we do end up having to fight them. But, but it, that's I always enjoyed that interesting little explanation. And then it's very sad. <laughs> that's who you're fighting. Kind of like in Final Fantasy X. I'm like, you know, every random encounter, feel a little bit bad about that. Right, yeah. The, the, the unsent spirits of those killed in violence. Yeah. Ah, that's that's uh, rough. Yeah. So then we get a scene inside the chambers or the meeting room, I suppose, probably the the hall of Duke Barrington. This is the guy we've been talking about with Marek and Rafa who did these horrible things to raise these children. Well, raise is the wrong word, but yeah. And we get this just Shmarmy, like we immediately this opening speech I guess I'll just read it in the tone it's supposed to be read and ah warmest welcome to you both he says to a couple of guests we recognize Falmarv and Wygraf remember now members of the church pulling the strings from the shadows he says I do hope you found my halls to your pleasure they may lack the grandeur of Lazalias, but I find they make up for it in other ways Castles built as seats of governance are so dreadfully plain, would you not agree? There is such greater beauty in a fortress built for war. Ivelisse herself would seem to be in agreement. Ever has she been ruled by men with power. Some might take this latest upheaval as a sign that the crown, in its austere seat, has lost the strength to keep her under reign. Like, yeah, the there's a lot going on here, right? Game to him, and yeah, 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 yeah. I I do want to draw attention to a couple of things. One, I feel like he contradicts himself here in that he calls Lasalia grandeur, but also austere. Yeah, I I think what he's trying to do is is draw attention to how his place is a seat of war, uh, and that is that is true beauty, right? Right. That anything that anything that lacks like he, so this meeting room there's bars over the windows and it's more dimly lit uh he's got few guards with him anything that lacks the trappings of war to him is barely worth existing also he refers to ivelis as in, in the feminine ivelis herself would seem to be in agreement right ever has she been ruled by men with power and knowing what his relationship with rafa was that just takes on an extra gross meaning and remember the game that begins with the kidnapping of a young woman we are currently in pursuit of a young woman who's been kidnapped all by powerful men so yeah this this symbol of evilies as a woman constantly being manipulated and controlled by powerful men is a lot potent that's the word i might be looking for that is that is potent 
symbology. <laughs> Symbolism. Symbolism. <laughs> so Barrington makes it clear that he wants to form an alliance with the Knights Templar, who Fulmarv and Wygraf represent here, and says that they actually hold more power than the Northern Sky or the Southern Sky. He says, really? Falmarv does you think us the greatest power in Ivalice? And Barrington says the stones are said to possess a phenomenal magic. If legend is to be believed, they were responsible for the cataclysm that laid waste to Melande in bygone days. And then Falmarv, who's supposed to be, you know, of the church and stuff, just bursts in the laughter. So forgive me, I forget myself. It's just, I, I never expected a man like yourself to believe in such utter fantasy. You fool, you absolute <laughs> knob, he says to him. Right. Ow. <laughs> then they start playing this coy game, again, politics, who knows what, how much do I let you know that I know what you know, that you know, yeah, and all of that. Because Barrington says, interesting, you know, I had heard that the Cardinal's death was somehow connected to the stones. Falmar says, really? As I had it, the Cardinal had taken ill. Because oh, that's our excuse for everything in this yep. world. Yeah. What do you mean, demons? No, no, no. It was merely the flu. Yeah. But Barrington says, well, that's kind of very interesting. Might I ask, though? If the stones had nothing to do with the cardinal, why do you seek the young Bales? I can only imagine what he must have done to earn the label of heretic. <laughs> right. And Falmarv, still a step ahead, says, Hey, the Inquisitors do not share with us the reasons for their decisions. I think that's particularly interesting. Yeah. Because right? Falmarv is in charge of the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar answer to the Inquisitors, who answer to... Uh, uh, the Grand Confessor, right? But they were also in opposition to Cardinal de la Croix. So, you know, we already talked about this. The church has its own divisions. But uh, that Fulmarv would continue to sort of play this game, considering what we're about to find out about him, is, is interesting. Yeah. Because they, it's clear they both know what's going on here, but neither of them are going to say it out loud to each other. And Barrington even says, well, how terribly convenient is your bureaucracy. <laughs> Still, I wonder if there cannot be some detail that you are simply forgetting. Marak, he yells. And Marak walks in with Isolude, who immediately makes it clear. And you'll recall, Isolude is someone we met with Ramza beneath Orbone Monastery as they were having an actually very interesting back and forth about freedom and potentially, you know, he was trying to get Ramza to sign up and giving the best pitch he possibly could. And now here he, he appears to be captured and he confirms that he is Falmarv's son. He says, Father, forgive me. And Falmarv, understanding that the next piece of this weird chess game that they've been playing back and forth is for Barrington to show him that he has kidnapped his son, simply responds, hmm, your meaning becomes clearer because he too sees it all as a game. These people are sick, man. It's pretty bad. So Barrington says, I've taken Scorpio and Taurus 
Taurus? How do you say that word? I've always said Taurus. <laughs> it's like a, a truck. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, taking Scorpio and Taurus for safekeeping. Because Taurus is the bull, so that's why you would name your truck after it. <laughs> sure. And Falmarv calls Isolude, you worthless fool of a son. And slaps him in the face, sending him right. to the ground. With his gauntlet on, right? So yeah. it's not just like his hand, it's, it's a metal right. glove. So as often happens during these conversations, a guard shows up to say, the enemy at the gates. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's us, that's us. Yeah, we are the enemy at the gates. Right. And Barrington sends Marek off to deal with us, and off he goes. So, Falmarv returns to the conversation. What do you want, Barrington? And Barrington says, cooperation. I said as much a few moments ago. It would be a mutually beneficial arrangement, I assure you. And if we refuse, then I suppose I'd be forced to unmask the church's plot for what it is. Dude, wow. Right. right. He's not playing around, like an enemies. Right? Good yeah. lord. Fulmarv says, stones alone prove not. So how, how are you even going to out us? He says, in that you are correct, sir, but it would be hard to say the same of the scriptures of Germanique. I dare contend they might generate something more of a stir. Duke Larg, Duke Goltana, even the council is like to raise an eye at those. And even though there's no voice acting in these scenes, I get the distinct impression that Falmarv's tone changes here. Significantly, yes. <laughs> he goes from, oh, well, what do you want? Oh, so you've got my kid, whatever, to where are they? Yes. So I think this is particularly interesting for a few reasons. There's a part of me that wonders, why is Falmarv playing this game? Right? Like, why, why entertain any of this? You don't need this guy. You could end him in a moment. Why continue with the charade? And I think it has to be because the Templar and those possessed by the stones, even they need some cooperation from the people around them, right? Like Larg and Goltana can't fight their wars without their armies, so they need some cooperation from the people they rule. And I feel like even when it comes to Lukavi possessed or a site carrying super villains, right. they still need some, they need to play the game to some degree. But right. at this point, because the scriptures of Germanique would perhaps unite everybody in Ivalis against the Knights Templar and those who hold the stones, even Fulmarv right. and, and whomever he might be uh, representing realize that that's that's like the next key they need. They need the stones and they need the scriptures. And the other reason I really like this is because it's a book. It's a book of truth that holds the power in this situation. Right. God, can you just imagine if, uh, can, can you imagine a time when politicians could be <laughs> shamed into not doing thing A or thing B for fear that the, the truth of their abuses might get out, that they could feel shame right. at all and like exile themselves to California or whatever. <laughs> right. Totally. And then Iram Barrington backs himself into checkmate. At least in terms of 
Well, actually, ultimately, yeah. The, his first big mistake, and I'm giving away a little bit of what's about to happen next, was when he mentioned that he had put his stones in safekeeping. <laughs> right. So they're not in the room, you say. Interesting to know. <laughs> and then this last thing that he says, where after Fomaras, where are the scriptures of Germanique? He says, oh, who could say? You of all people must know how easily such details can elude the mind's grasp. So he's so, still playing the game, but Falmarv is done. Yep, exactly <laughs> right. Barrington's still playing without realizing he's lost. And this is so cryptic. Falmarv says, why, Graf? See to the mage who left a moment ago. I shall attend to matters here. Yeah. He's, he's speaking of Marek. So why, Graf goes after Marek. And Falmarv stands there very confident. And Barrington says, do not think to threaten me. This is a battle you cannot hope to win. And Falmarv says, no, it is one we cannot hope to lose. Who is there to oppose us, save you feeble-bodied humans? Yeah. <laughs> and Isolude says, what, what, what? Uh-huh. Father... What, what do you mean, humans? Well, and remember, Islu just had this whole conversation with Ramza back at uh, the monastery about how the Orosite, the stones, are items of evil. They summon Lukavi. They, they create demons. So he's not totally ignorant of the matter. He's just having it thrust upon him in this moment. Right. And so after a dramatic thunderclash, Falmarv says, You misjudge the strength of your enemy, Grand Duke Barrington. There will be no sport in killing you. And Barrington says, You would raise your arms against your host under his own roof? You, you, you would red wedding me? How dare yeah. you, sir? Some Game of Thrones stuff. And Falmarv says, The hospitality of your hall grows cold. I fear I shall have to take my leave once I've shown you the power of the stones. And then, you know, shiny, shiny, worry, worry, lights, bloogy, bloogies, somebody screams, camera pans up. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the, the tactic sound effects. Right, right. So we pick up outside with Ramza and Rafa at the gate of Rio Veins, met by Marek. And, you know, Rafa trying to plead with her brother, saying, we can leave this place together. And Marek shouts down from the top of the castle gates, death is the price for disloyalty. You know this as well as I, the Grand Duke, sees all debts paid in kind. Turncloaks are set upon by their once friends, hunted relentlessly until the end. To flee this day is to live the rest in fear ever wondering when the knife will find its mark. Such is not the life I choose to lead. If we but finish this one last task for him, the Grand Duke will release us both from his service. He swore as much to me. Yeah, and this just echoes what we've heard throughout the game, right? The, the deserters we uh, confronted and then who tried to murder our party. Uh, <laughs> the, the Corpse Brigade, over and over again. It's Dewey you know, suffer in the streets or die in the gutter. Yeah. 
So yeah, and Ramza's, you know, been branded a heretic and can't, you know, see his family or really go home or, you know, so we're kind of seeing he's, he's right. Like, you, that's not a great way to live. And, you know, but, but of course, that last part of what he's saying is the real trip up where he goes, hey, we just have to do this one last thing for the mob boss and then we're out of the family for good. <laughs> yeah, know? that always works. And Rafa has exactly the correct response. He swore on what? His honor? <laughs> like, we just saw this dude. <laughs> right? So, just, do not tell me you believed him. The man's words are honeyed poison. I'd sooner deal with a devil. They make not such effort to conceal their lies. That's interesting, because we yeah. just had this whole game that Falmarv was playing before he presumably transformed, right, into his demon form. So he, Right. Like, I like the line, but yeah, they do. They absolutely do hide <laughs> Right, right, right. So during the battle, there's some back and forth, and Marek makes it clear that Barrington wants the scriptures, and if they kill Ramza and take the scriptures to him, they'll be okay. Rafa says, absolutely not, and tells Ramza, don't you dare let anyone take those scriptures off of you. It's basically your way of keeping yourself and your sister alive. And then the two of them teleport away during the middle of battle, presumably to continue their fight, both literal and metaphorical, mm-hmm. <laughs> grammatical, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere else. After that, Ramza and friends are able to defeat the rest of the guards at the gate of Rio Veins, and we scene transition back inside and pick up with Alma. So Alma's being held down in the dungeon and she can hear the sounds of conflict and battle. There's screaming, there's the clashing of metal on metal, presumably some demonic sounds of some sort. Right. Uh, and she, so she questions what's happening, right? We're having this, because it's the only character there, it's not really dialogue. She's kind of talking to us, but also we, you and I talk to ourselves out loud, right? Right. So eventually uh, someone opens the door and falls into the room. And Alma, ever the, the caretaker, ever the healer, uh, goes to him, goes to this knight who presumably was at least helping to keep her captive and right. uh, tries to take care of him. Yeah. You know, these wounds are terrible. What did this to you? And the guard says, a beast. A beast with, oh, gods, my limbs grow cold. And, mm. and she says, be strong, sir. And he says, my lady, be gone from here. There was only death here. And then he dies. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. It's getting dark for a minute. So he, uh, so, so Alma looks at him and then looks at the door that's open now. He's like, yeah, all right. And, and uh, gets out of here, yeah. which is the correct choice, right? Like that's R- obviously right. correct. Right. And now, Ira, we arrive at the one objectively terrible part yeah. of this video game. Not of the story. For those of you listening to the podcast, don't worry. From our perspective of what we're doing here, everything is going to be fine. (laughs) Right, right. But this is notoriously an awful bit of game design where you can get trapped in the next battle because after these cutscenes, the game will prompt you to save. And if you only have one save file... You can get locked in the upcoming battle, which is very, 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 very difficult in multiple parts. 
and for most of it one-on-one, -on -one, which dramatically limits the amount of tactical maneuvering you can do to win the fight. So you can kind of get totally stuck in the game here if you're not ready for it and like have to restart a file from the very beginning because if you only have one file and you've saved into it, you're just locked in this fight forever. And if you can't beat it, there's no way to go back or forward. And it sucks. So I um, hope whenever they remaster this, they <laughs> fix that. I, I am glad, or I, I was glad to hear that that was the case when I found out because I got stuck here. And I was fortunate enough to have a couple of, I didn't have to go all the way back to the beginning. I had a few different save files, but I had to go back a little ways. Yeah. And yeah, it was, this is a difficult fight. Uh, I've seen uh, since then some folks on YouTube who sort of explained the best way to do this is to elude your opponent as, as long as you can and sort of uh, build up your stats until you can beat them in one hit, which is cool, uh, yeah. but is not typically how I do things. Right. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's unfortunate that I was actually in a great Twitch space, Mandersnatch, the other day, and, and a lot of people were recommending to play Final Fantasy Tactics, but people immediately started talking about this one fight. We're like, be careful, you don't get stuck here. And that that's too bad, because it's one little bit of the game, but it's bad enough that if you're not ready for it, it can really derail your experience. That said... What actually happens here, since we don't have to worry about being good enough to win the battle right now, is super cool. Like this is, we've talked about cutting promos and back and forths and dueling both with words and with weapons. And this is one of those times where just they go at it, man. <laughs> so again, we get this sense that in all the chaos of the battle, Right. We're, we're not sure who's where and there's there's bodies everywhere. And Ramza kind of comes upon an enclosed hallway and runs into Wygraf. It's like this moment. So many of these little moments have been leading to this. Right. Every Wygraf scene has been has been leading to this confrontation. And Ramza seeing all the bodies lying around. says, by the gods and Wygraf simply turns toward him and says so you've come draw your sword Ramza oh boy <laughs> yeah. yeah and Ramza does not yeah and so Wygraf says not in the mood I hope you will not object to me drawing mine and Ramza goes back to this track that I do not like, but I understand why he goes there. He says, I pity you, Wygraf, more than you can know. What must Miluda think to see you now? You would sell your soul to the Lukavi to slake your thirst for revenge? And Wygraf says, revenge? You think that is what drives me? I have no such petty concerns. I do not fight to avenge Miluda's death. I sow the seeds of chaos in the world of men and reap the anguished cries of the weak. But worry not, Ramza. Yours is a special case. I shall kill you myself. I think that this is the moment that tells us that Wygraf is gone. This is just his body. 
There yeah. might be some bit of memory in there, like he knows who Maluda is. But that was his, after the destruction of the Corpse Brigade, that was what was driving him, was the death of his sister. And now he doesn't care? He doesn't care about Maluda? No. Right. That's not Wygraf. Wygraf right. is gone, or, or is so subsumed by the, by the chaos of the Lukavi that he barely exists at all. Yeah. And so they fight for a little while and during a break in the action while they're both kind of reaching their breath. Ramza says, Our sight is the work of demons, not gods. The Zodiac braves, they're unholy knights, heroes of a false legend. And then, Ira, Wygraf says something that I honestly can't believe they wrote down and put into a video game. And if this was a much more popular thing, if this was a Netflix show or an HBO show, like we want it to be someday, and somebody gave this speech and millions of people were watching, there would be an uproar, an absolute outcry. Because Wygraf says, all such tales of gods and their miracles are false. Okay, do we have your attention? <laughs> Those who would lead prefer that history suit their needs and rewrite it to see that it does. And why shouldn't they? The fault lies not with them. The reeking masses yearn for gods and miracles. It is their opiate, and they consume it greedily. The people do not endeavor, there's that word again, the people do not endeavor towards greatness, but rather mire themselves in their petty strifes, shackles on the feet of man. Their leaders give them no more than that for which they clamor. It is history's oldest and most oft-repeated tale. Do men exploit this weakness to dominate their fellows? Mayhap they do, but they succeed only because the people are eager to know such dominion. Gods are only illusions born of man's fear. It is they who see this charade for what it is and join the pageantry who are to blame. Yeah. Oof. I mean, so basically, to recap, Wygraf is saying religion and, to an extent, crowns are used to control people to be sure but people need to be controlled and believe in things that are not true because they cannot face reality and there is way too much truth in all of that that's tough to sit with for a minute <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, um, so do you think that Wygraf's statement here is the thesis statement of Final Fantasy Tactics? I mean, he is, after all, representative of the, the creatures that want to destroy everything. Right. I think he's making the best version of the cynical argument. I think Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, in a lot of ways is not just making like one, you know, solid art. It doesn't have just like one message at the end, right? I do think that the first half of what he's saying here, 
about these systems of belief that are used to control people is very much a part of the thesis statement of the game. I think the question, and and honestly, I, I would assume that, you know, Matsuno, the, the writer and director, this is probably something he was struggling with and wondering about and, and trying to figure out for himself this, you know, is it, it's kind of like this question we're facing in this country right now, not to get up on this thing, right? But are we failing the systems because the vast majority of people don't vote, don't participate, don't engage, and don't watch the news and just have totally unplugged and aren't engaged in the system whatsoever? Or is it the fact that the system has failed people so many times over and over and over and over and over again that it's completely understandable that these people would recede into reality television or sports or sometimes video games or uh, escapes literally do anything other than try to engage with the world around them and make the world a better place because they would rather their as Wygraf calls it here their opiates whether it be religion or or whatever else and that it's this there are all these mechanisms for control but people will willfully give up the most powerful tool that they have to exert their control because they've been so beaten down by that cycle and by that system. And so I think that's the question, yes, at the heart of the game. You know, I, I don't know that Wygraf's conclusion is the one that Matsuno wants us, the audience, to reach. Like, yeah, the people are sheep, you know, because <laughs> that's also at the end of the day, Wygraf is using this speech to essentially excuse their own thirst for power because he's basically saying <laughs> there's all that beautiful language I just read put it another way he's saying don't hate the player hate the game I'm playing the game on, and I'm on the winning side now Ugh, it's so there's so many layers to this and it's, it's so complicated and difficult but so again after a long and grueling video game battle you you finally manage to defeat Wygraf or so you thought before he teleports back to sort of the top of this staircase you've been fighting on and says this has gone on long enough which I insist is a self-referential I think they knew the fight was going to be that hard <laughs> it had players screaming at the television I know <laughs> you mean the the game the story the the conflict or this fight <laughs> And once again, he is surrounded by the blue light and the stone transforms him back into Belias, the Gigas. Great big, I'm not sure if I described before, you know, great big, like ram horns, large, you know, Gigas. Yeah, presumably with Ares, the, the ram. Right. The, the Zodiac stone he's got, right? Four arms, right. I think. Right. Uh, yeah, scary looking dude. So he actually summons a few more beasts to his side and Rams as friends arrive on the scene so we have a more standard sort of multi-party tactical fight uh, once again ramza has to fight against one of these things and uh, manages to defeat it and the belias gigas the, the gigas belias <laughs> i said it backwards right, yeah that's the one yeah, uh, falls and has a similar frustration as the cardinal de la croix did brought down by the hands of mortal man what in the world is who is this guy <laughs> and you know after a moment of kind of taking all of that in i guess ramza remembers all right alma <laughs> runs off to try to find his sister 
So, Ira, we open elsewhere in the castle where we had seen before the Grand Duke and Falmarv playing their word game of chess. And it opens on... This is a gruesome scene. This, I think, is one of the more violent things that we've seen in Final Fantasy to this point, honestly. You know, we had the trail of blood in Final Fantasy VII and a few other things that we've talked about. And we've seen other things in this game where there are, like there are here, several bodies kind of lying around the room and small pools of blood and the old Final Fantasy tactics graphics and whatnot. But what I find especially striking is Isolude, who is sort of sitting upright with his legs out in front of him, like leaning up against a wall, right? Like he's just got his back pinned against a wall and he's covered in blood but there's blood like behind the wall like behind his head yeah. and around it it's just shown in such a way that it just looks awful and it's simple and the, and the graphics are simple and all that but even to to this day just looking at it i i found this to be striking yeah, and I, I do want to note that the Grand Duke Barrington is not here, right? So when last we were in this room, Formalve was going to take care of things here. Uh, and some more guards rushed in the room, and, and Duke Barrington sort of hid behind his guards, and then we panned away. Right. So, so whatever's go- whatever happened, uh, it happened to these guards and to Isolude, but maybe not to Barrington. Right. And Alma, ever the healer and caretaker, rushes to his side and Isolude is searching for his sword and says, I must stop him or, or it, you know, which gets back to our question about whether or not Isolude was a true believer. I think we see here that he probably was, you know, he didn't know his father's schemes. He didn't really know the dark side of the church. He really believed the pamphlet, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, he does more of that, it's getting dark, it's getting cold. Like, these scenes are, oh man, these are rough. (laughs) And Alma says, it's all right, you needn't fight any longer, rest yourself. And Isolute says, your brother, tell him for me, the orosite, a foul work, evil, my father. Nay, no, that was no longer my father, transformed by the orosite, one of the Lakavi. And starts coughing up blood and stuff, and it's just <laughs> yeah, and and they show it too, right? Yeah, like the, it's it's old graphics, but it's still pretty compelling. Yeah, and then Islude says Ramza was right; it must be stopped. It could destroy all of Evely. Such power, you must tell them, tell them all. They must cease their fighting. Together, they must face a greater threat. Where is my sword? My arm does not heed me. So he's still trying to get his sword and go off to fight. He can't move. He's like, look, folks, again, I think we've tried to describe it. He's barely there. Like, as soon as Alma looked at him, she goes, there's actually a scene we're coming up on in Nausicaa not too long, where you just go, oh, you're torn apart. You're not going to get through this. And now... Alma says, be still now. I saw its body in the hall. My brother slew it. It is done. Thinking of Belias, the Gigas. Right. Not not whatever Isolude's father has done, right? She doesn't know that there's 
But that's a, a perfectly reasonable mistake to make there. Sure. Like how many of these demons can exist in this world after all? Walking around in this castle right now. <laughs> and then, but that does give Isolute some peace. He says, it is dead, slain. Then I might rest. There is a piece of orosite in my doublet, he says. You must give it to your brother for me. And Alma goes and, and gets the stone and says, I will. He says, thank you. My, my eyes are weary, heavy with sleep. Let me, let me rest them for a little while. And then he dies. <sighs> yeah. Presumably at the hands of his own father. Or what remains of his own father, right? If, yeah. if Wygraf is so far gone that he no longer cares for Meluda, then yeah, Formal, uh, Falmarv um, has, has little care for Islud. And, and a similar death to Titra's, right? Where now he's just in the way. He, he no longer serves a purpose. He's not useful right now. And he ended up getting kidnapped. So that makes him foolish and in the way. And so sacrificable. Ugh. So at this point, Falmarv returns to the room and sees Alma there and says, Oh, so here you are. I shall speed you to join the others, which at first made me think he's going to take her somewhere. What others? <laughs> what? Because yeah. this guy doesn't, he has no emotion about the disgusting things that he's doing. And then he walks toward her and says, you needn't fear. Your death shall be quick. Oh, he means the others in the room. Speed you to join the others. But as he approaches her, the stone begins to respond. And Falmarf goes back to being very cryptic. <laughs> right, yeah. This is What's interesting. This? What's this? There's Virgo in the air. What's this? No, he says, <laughs> could it really be? Could what really be? We're all screaming at the screen. What are you talking about? And then he grabs Alma and says, Mayhap our luck turns. I should not have thought to find your, our quarry here. I had feared we might search another century or more and still not find you. And Alma says what we're saying. What are you talking about? Release me. And he says, do not worry. Your life is safe. Now come. And once again, powerful man exerts his power over a young woman by punching her in the gut, just as Delita did to Ovelia in the opening, and slinging her over his shoulder, and well, this time he, he teleports off as opposed to riding off on Chocobo, but basically the same thing. Right, exactly. Now, here's the thing. I So they teleport away, and it is very clear that an site, presumably the one Alma took off Islud is there on the floor. Now, did somebody forget it or or did right. it drop by accident or or did Alma drop it on purpose? Right. Yeah. All good stuff, right? I would like to think I want to give Alma credit here, right? I want I want to think that Alma realized, "Oh, I'm about to be kidnapped again. I cannot right. let this guy have any more oracite." than he and his cronies already have. Right. So we pick up at the top of the beast's castle. That's how I actually always imagine this, you know, from Beauty and the Beast when they're all fighting sure. up yeah. on top of the castle in the rain. We get a very similar scene to that, right? It's clear that 
some of the key figures have made their way up to the rooftops. And we see a confrontation between Barrington and Rafa. Yeah, this is... Uh, do we want to... Is this where we got to give the content warning? Yeah, so again, trigger warning. They are going to touch here on assault of a sexual nature. At least it's heavily implied, never stated explicitly, but it's clear that's what they're getting at. Yeah, I, yeah. I kind of wonder. They dance. They don't use the word, right? They never say... Right. But so are they dancing around the word just because that's how this game is sort of phrased in general? There's a lot of talking around the thing we're talking about. Or is this for a video game at the time just a word that's not said? Do you what do you think? Yeah, I suspect that it's a way of trying to kind of do both. I think it does make sense. Like you talked about, it is a world where people sort of talk in riddles and colorful language anyway. But I I do think that, yeah. And also at a time where we were still getting used to the idea of video games being for adults, you know, that we were still having like literal fights in Congress about video games, if they could be for adults or not, or whether or not these things were all targeted at children. And so you know, if you're going to have something where you think the majority of the audience is going to be kids, maybe talk about it in such a way that the parents, the adults will get what you're getting at. And and maybe the kids just won't know and, and you can kind of not have to do that. Right. Um, and maybe it was just a way of trying to very gently discuss the issue without making it as we've talked about before sometimes there are stories that go too far the other way and when they broach the subject they they make it very shock value right and so i think monsino is kind of trying to do the opposite of shock value with it so barrington says after all i've done for you now you repay me with betrayal you owe me your life you ungrateful wretch you would not stand here today if not for me did you prefer digging through the sordid heaps of rubble, or have you already forgotten that? And Rafa says, oh, I recall that quite clearly. It was after you burnt our village, was it not? Shortly after you murdered my mother and father and everybody else? It is not with betrayal I repay your deeds. It is with vengeance. She takes out her excellent. blade. Excellent. That's an excellent line. I love that yes. so much. Yes. She's like, I'm not letting you frame the debate here asshole right <laughs> that is not what happened and you know it and you don't get to try to convince me that it is right Ugh. right totally gross so in response to her drawing her blade he takes out like a small old school steampunk looking pistol yeah yeah and i don't want to make light of this at all but there is a little bit of humor in don't bring a sword to a gunfight right so as much as she got to say the cool thing and draw her blade and look like she was about to do some cool shit, it's like, and then he just pulls out a little gun, you know, and goes, okay, what are we doing here? And he tries to reframe it again. He says, vengeance? You truly believe that you are capable of exacting vengeance on me? I am your father, Rafa. Yeah, gross. The man who raised you from a girl. You cannot kill your own father, though you are welcome to try. So, so she can't kill her own father, but her father can kill her, not to mention what else he did to her. Right. Come on. Right. 
but this is again you know the the willful ivilus is has to you know the the strong men in power have to take the reign of of willful girls Ugh, gross yeah so rafa hesitates either because maybe she's not sure she can get there before the gun will go off maybe right. yeah. you know she's pondering whether or not she really can kill the man who at the very least housed and fed her for years or whatever like it it's it's not you know split second decision making time or maybe it should be but she hesitates and he laughs and says you cannot do it do you know why and i'm going to re-give the trigger trigger warning here because i don't even want to read this yeah it's gross um but this is awful so skip ahead if you don't want to hear something truly awful he says the flesh remembers rafa it remembers fear cold and trembling but it will not always be so in time your fear will blossom into another flower and i shall have that one as well good lord um, and i just threw up in my mouth a little. <laughs> you know that's oh my god that is so deeply disgusting and the one thing that i think you know is in there is that it what we're showing here is that Marek, you know, we had talked about lines in the sand. When, when last we left our heroes, it was Rafa who was running away saying, no, I can't do this anymore. And Marek just hadn't gotten there yet. And he had maybe been in some denial about this, but he hears this man say this thing to his sister. And for all we maybe have been extremely frustrated and angry with Marek to this point, he too makes a decision. Yeah, I'm. I want. I, I wish he had believed her earlier, but it is better drama that it takes a while for him to get there. But at least, at least he gets there. Yeah. And so he basically comes around the side of the roof and you know does the oh my god it's true, you you really did the thing again. They don't say it, but it's what they're getting at. And. He says, you would turn on me as well, Marek. You are truly an ungrateful lot. Good Lord, this man is just so impressed with himself. Yeah. But Rafa says, I'll kill him, I will. And she's getting ready to gear up and go in. And Marek, probably thinking the gun is faster than the sword, jumps in the way, pushes her to the side, and eats the bullet himself. Ugh. And he falls pretty limp. Yeah, dude's dead. I mean, it's, he out. And Rafa runs over, checks the vitals and says, Speak to me, Mark. Oh, Father, no. So we get a little more of their religious element. And then Ramza arrives just a little bit too late, as always. Bummer, man. And... Barrington says, ah, you must be Ramza. Move no further. If you wish to help your brother, Rafa, bring me the orosite he carries. It should be on his person. Check his robes. And it's just like, God, he's still like acting as though this is all like normal business affairs. Like he's totally in control here. And he says, yes, yes, the stone there. There it is. You know, quickly, I'm growing impatient. He's holding everyone at gunpoint. There is a nicely subtle moment here where somebody 
walks up behind him on this peaked roof. Yeah. They don't, nobody else acknowledges it, right? And you just sort of, they're kind of out of frame. So you just like barely see them. And I thought, oh man, he's got backup. We're, we're getting ready for a fight and he's going to have some, you know, snipers on the roof or whatever, right? You know, right. Even though we're on the roof, higher up on the roof. It's like, oh no. And then as, you know, people are kind of hesitating and going to see, you know, who's going to blink, who's going to drop first. You know, is, is he, is Rafa going to go over and, and get the stone and take it to him as he's requesting this person who it becomes clear is a, a woman suddenly just out of nowhere lifts up Grand Duke Barrington like it's nothing and tosses this dude off the roof. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I mean, uh. There, wow. There's a part of me that really wishes we could have fought him and taken yes. him down, but that he's just so unceremoniously killed by being tossed off a roof by a woman so obviously stronger than him. There's something to that as well. Oh, she just tosses him. And it's it's the inverse of the thing I was talking about, right, with Isolude and Titra of, you know, well, it's the same thing, but it's like, hey, you're just in my way. See ya. Yep. <laughs> But he'd been this just absolute nightmare of a person. And to see him just go out with absolutely no fanfare is hilarious and wonderful and oddly satisfying, like you're saying. And then very abruptly, <laughs> the mark was Elmdor and his two assassins insert themselves into the situation. And so if you'll recall, Elmdor was at the seat of the south, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, after running from the north, he had kind of been on neutral territory and then decided to side with the south and had been dealing with Orlando and Voltana. And now he's arrived here and has teleported onto the scene with a pair of badass lady assassins who are like... I don't know, sand snakes or something. <laughs> and Game of Thrones. And, you know, Elmdor makes it clear that, of course, he wants the stones. And Rams is like, look, I've seen this play out too many times. Rafa, don't take it to them. He even says, those people aren't humans. Like, he, he's catching on here. Like, there is a secret cult of weird stone, beastie, magical religious people in the church and look out. <laughs> right, yeah. A, a sensible warning. Yeah. And Elmdor, who I think we've mentioned, bears a striking similarity to Sephiroth in character design. You know, long black cloak and long silver hair. Handsome man. Sort of vampire-like, you know, with these... Even the fact that he's roaming around with the lady assassins and the way they kind of interact, it's very vampire feel to it and so Elmdor says you must be the heretic Ramza I suppose I owe you my thanks forgive me for not expressing my gratitude sooner remember we rescued him from being kidnapped in like the very first mission of the game says I would have you know that I am not a violent man like Falmarv will you not yield the stone of your own accord I do so hate to see blood spilt needlessly Spare me the struggle, 
and I shall be glad to ask Falmarv to return your young sister. Do you think Elmdor does not know that Falmarv has sensed something in her that they want? Or do you think he's just playing the game? Always hard to tell. We can ask that question after almost all of these, right? It's always hard to tell. Uh, and you want to believe him because he's pretty, which is another subtle comment. <laughs> right. So yeah. Don't believe people just because they have a lot of charisma. And Ramza's pretty dug in hard on, like, I'm not listening to these people anymore and I'm not bartering with stones for people. We're the scriptures, but we're not doing that, right? He essentially says, I don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then Elmdor says, Indeed, I suppose it seems the time for words is past. Celia, Letty. So, those are the young women. The girl carries the orosite. Take it from her corpse. And a battle ensues. And again, a very difficult one because the assassins are remarkably powerful. But after you're able to essentially wound one of them, the, the battle will end. And Elmdor will remark upon the strength that felled the Gigas. And Chuchulane as well. Cuculane. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and says, uh, this night is lost. If you wish to claim the Orosite I hold, Ramza, you had best make your way to Limberry. I shall await your coming there with bated breath. So now he just decides it's a game about who has the most stones. <laughs> I guess. Bounces. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to draw a couple of quick comparisons to outside lit. One is that the standoff between Rafa and Barrington reminds me a lot of a similar standoff between child and father. I know not technically, but the whole you can't, you won't kill me, you won't do it thing in Game of Thrones. Those of you that know, know, you know, the big moment. You couldn't possibly, you couldn't dare. Oh, well. <laughs> And uh, then this next scene actually reminded me a lot of a scene near the end of the Black Panther movie when he's sitting with Killmonger as the sun is rising. Because after all of this fighting and all of this death and all of this horror, we're sitting there on the top of the castle as Elmdor and his assassins teleport away and the sun begins to rise. And Rafa says, Look, Marek, a new dawn has risen. Can, can you see it? So often we sat together talking, waiting for the coming of first light. We'd talk of the journeys we wanted to make together, wouldn't we? How when the war ended, we would go back and visit our old village. You remember, Mark, don't you? Don't you? Tell me you do. Tell me you still do. And like, dude, <laughs> brutal. So as she begins to, you know, fall into full grief for her brother, the stone begins to react again. And we go, oh, no, oh, no, not now, not again. So Ramza essentially begins to freak out and say, Rafa, no, don't listen to the voice of the stone. You know, get away from it because he's worried that she's going to transform into a beast and like attack or something. That's what he's seen so far when these stones react to people's grief. But instead, as this red light sort of goes all around her, like we'd seen the blue light with Wygraf turning into Belias, 
Instead, sort of extra tingly light comes down and touches on Marek and restores him back to life. Yeah, I I really like this. I, I love the the literary device, the trope of, you know, magic is is a tool, right? Magic isn't good or evil. Magic is what you do with it. We see it a lot in, in fantasy fiction. And you could say that about a lot of things in real life too, right? Books are just books. It's what you do with the books. It's what you do with the ideas that matters. But I'm also, I'm going to paraphrase here a bit because you might say the only way to stop a bad guy with Orosight is a good guy with Orosight. <laughs> right, right, right. So there's a certain amount of like, you know, and I don't subscribe when it comes to firearms. I don't subscribe to that idea. Right. Like the, the solution sure. to 30,000 gun deaths a year in this country is not more guns. Right. The analogy falls apart because there aren't guns that heal people. And so the thing here is that if the site is used properly, it can heal people rather than destroy people. Right. And And there's, you know. I, I do think it's an interesting comparison because it is great power, I guess, right? So now we can make the Spider-Man analogy. Yeah. And it is nice that it is about how you use it. Like, I I really like that as a concept. Yeah. There's sort of a Green Lantern element there as well. Of like, it's about the intentionality of the user. And then there's this one really cute moment where Rafa, realizing that her brother has been brought back to life, hugs him so tight that he says, you know, what are you trying to suffocate me? Which is like, that's a nice little, you've just been brought, brought back to life and now you're going to kill him with your love. It's, you know, that thing. It's it, very it, is, it is very sweet. I like it a lot. And I'm glad that they have made up, right? Like uh, uh, we've seen just tragedy after tragedy, especially when it comes to siblings. And now we get a happy one. Yeah, yeah, it feels good. I feel like we've earned this one. <laughs> and then, again, I'm going to read directly from Ramza's journal as he wraps up what happens next. He says, I searched for Alma, but she was nowhere to be found at Riovain's. All that remained in the castle's ravaged parlor was the Pisces stone. Marek remarked that the stone's power depended on the nature of its user. But but as I clasped the stone tightly in my hands, all I could think of was Alma. The war had begun to take a new direction, and chaos flared throughout Ivalice. And then we get this really... I really love the way it just freezes, like, kind of dark vision of the inside of the castle and a lot of the chaos there. And I guess this is supposed to be Ramza and Marek walking through the halls, talking to each other, but we just get the text on screen. We don't get any sense of where they are. This is just a conversation taking place in ambiguous space. Almost as though, like you would probably, if you were voicing this, you would have it sound more like narration. It would be very echoey and off in the distant uh, distance, as opposed to you know, how it sounds when we're just listening to people in a room. And Marek says, A voice called to me in that land of pure white light, though whose it was I cannot say. Return, it said to me. Return to the side of the valiant, the one whose heart beats true. 
So, Ira, did Marek visit some kind of actual afterlife and was summoned back by some forces beyond our understanding who recognized that Ramza is King Arthur? Or has his faith manifest a particular subconscious thing that happened while he was out? Well, I think we have to take Marek at his word. Yeah. Because he had the experience and nobody else did. And I do think, I mean, we, we know that it was uh, the power of the Zodiac Stone and, and the way his sister used it that resurrected him. So, if that's true, it's interesting that there's this little bit of pushback now after, you know, all such beliefs and gods are false to, huh, did did he cross over into some sort of afterlife? Is there a spiritual realism? Is, is there some reality to beliefs or whatever, right? We get a little bit there, and that's interesting. And then Ramza says, I'd thought the Orosite a product not of godly fashion, but an issue of hands far fouler, a gateway of sorts for Lukavi into our world. Marek says, I know not by whose hands it came to be. I do not think it's evil inherent. I believe it is the wielder who gives it its power. And then Ramza, you know, thinking on other matters, says, I shall save you, Alma, come what may. And then we get a still frame of the castle from the outside and in a different art style as we've done before when we go back to Aslam, who is narrating from the future as our historian telling the story and he says frustrations with the stalemate growing the order of the northern sky recalled its full force from the war's now expansive front they marched on Fort Bessala with plans to turn the tide of the war <laughs> 